book of Ruth, chapter 1. And let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word today. And we come because we truly want to receive of it. We want to eat this big meal that would fill us up and cause us to have plenty of spiritual strength and energy. And Lord, we need you now because only you can do that by the power of your spirit. But do it this morning through your word. Use my mouth and give us all ears to hear what your spirit is saying to the church. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Ruth is a short book of 85 verses, but it's very weighty. 25 times God is mentioned in these 85 verses. It's a mighty message with a powerful application. It's the greatest love story of probably all times. You know, as you we read through the book of Ruth, you're going to see how flimsy the stuff that's put out from Hollywood really is. If somebody would take the book of Ruth and turn it into a movie, it'd probably be a classic of all times. It's a small piece of meat, but with a lot of protein. It's a fine cut. Now in verse 1, it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. So the book of Ruth is an appendix to the book of Judges. And so it fits somewhere within the first 16 chapters of the book of Judges. If you were with us last Sunday night, you saw that chapter 17 to chapter 20 was also an appendix that went somewhere within the first 16 chapters. You have Othniel, the first judge, and then uh, Samson, the last judge mentioned in the book of Judges. Samuel is the last of the last judges, but the last one mentioned there in chapter 16. And then there is these other stories, chapter 17 and 20, that fit within those first 16 chapters of Judges. Now Ruth is another appendix. And so it fits somewhere within those first 16 chapters, not really sure, and evidently it's not an important point. But in that time period, there was a famine in the land. And if you read the book of Judges, there's no doubt about that because the people were constantly sinning. Constantly, seven times it says they did evil once again in the sight of the Lord. And God had already told them when they began to sin, they began to follow other gods, they live in disobedience, that God would shut up the reign of the heaven. And that he would cause famine, he would cause them to hunger, he would cause hardship upon them, so they would get their lives right with the Lord. And it says there, a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So there is this family that lived in Bethlehem, which means house of bread, in the region or the area of Judah, which means praise. I love it. You got a family living in the house of bread in an area of praise. But there was a famine. God has given us His Word. And how wonderful of a house of bread it is. And to live within that house of bread, God desires for us. He makes it very clear that we're to live in the Word. Man can't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In Him we're to live and move and have our being. We're to meditate on His Word day and night, to live in that house of bread. And what would happen? Psalms 119 says, 
My heart praises you when I know your statutes, when I know your testimonies. And then we live that life of praise. As we're living in the word, our life begins to praise and to worship the Lord. But James says, you got to be a doer of the word. And this particular family wasn't because they moved to the country of Moab. So the picture is, is the people are in disobedience. God's trying to get their attention through famine. And this family says, no big deal. We'll just move, move over to Moab. But twice in Psalms, in Psalms, 100, uh, Psalms 60 verse 8 and Psalms 108 verse 9, it says, Moab is my wash pot. In other words, it's, it's trash can. It's toilet. That's spiritually, that's the way God saw Moab. In those days, they had clay pots, and that was their trash cans, and they were so cheap, they would just fill the clay pot up with trash, and when they went to the dump heap, they would just throw the whole clay pot into the big dump pile. And God's saying, that area where you throw all of your waste, that's the way I spiritually see Moab. Remember the Moabites came from that incestuous union of Lot and his daughter. Remember when they escaped out of Sodom and Gomorrah, God leveled the city with fire. And Lot and his two daughters, because his wife turned to a pillar of salt, went and lived in a cave. And the two daughters said, we're never going to have kids. Let's get dad drunk and have kids with him. And they did. Ammon and Moab. And end up becoming two countries. The Ammonites and the Moabites, two very wicked and accursed countries. The Moabites worshipped uh, the Shermosh, and there they required an infant sacrifice. So a very wicked and despicable people. They really were. Very prideful people as well, the prophets later tell us. Ultimately, God would destroy them. But now they clearly know spiritually this is an accursed place. As a matter of fact, very clearly. And Deuteronomy chapter 23 verse 3 it says they shall never dwell amongst you you'll never dwell amongst them forever God says so the word was very clear that they were not to go there but they didn't care very practically God's not going to bless where I'm at I'll go where the blessings are so it was a clear rebellion maybe not an out and out active rebellion but definitely an underground rebellion at best going on of saying God doesn't want to give us rain and food. We'll just go where there is some. And they weren't concerned about their spiritual life or they wouldn't have gone ahead and lived in disobedience. Well, in verse 2, the name of the man was Elimelech, which means God is my king. Interesting. The name of his wife was Naomi, which is pleasantness. So this man who was named God is my king, he dwelt with a pleasant woman. The Bible says he receives a wife, it says in Proverbs, receives a blessing from the Lord. So here's this family of four, this picturesque scene, where you have this guy who says, God is my king, with his pleasant wife and their two sons, and their names were Malon and Chilion. And they were from Ephraites of Bethlehem of Judah, and they went to the country of Moab and remained there. So they evidently weren't planning on staying there, but they ended up getting stuck there. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. She was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Ophir, the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died. 
So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. So they said, hey, let's go over to Moab. There's good grass for the grazing. There's a lot of water for the farming. And that's what really matters, is it? Oswald Chambers said, the majority of us begin with the bigger problem outside and forget the one inside. We say, let's take care of this outside problem when God's saying, no, let's take care of the inside problem. They said, no, as long as we have plenty of farming land, that's really the majority of it. And God's saying, no, it's the giant drought in your heart that's the major problem. The drought on the outside is a small problem. Another man said, a man has to learn the plague of his own heart before his own problems can be solved. God was trying to get a hold of Elimelech's heart, you see. And he says, no, you're not. I'll just go where there is water. And God says, no, you're not. The water won't do you any good. You see, the Lord loves us too much to let us be in our rebellion. The Lord loves us too much to bless us while we are rebellious. The Lord loves us too much to let us remain in our disobedience and happy so. He wants to change things, you see. He's always at work trying to change our lives. And we have to let that trial have its perfect work, James says. But I'm not going to let the trial have its perfect work. I'm going to move down to Moab. Elimelech, your name is God is my king. Let me be the king of your life again. Let me be the throne, be on the throne of your life again. Obey me. This is an accursed place. Go back home. Nope, got good farmland here. Elimelech, go back home. Now it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, those who continued in rebellion and disobedience, God allowed his believing children to get weak and sick and then to die. Why? Because they're not going to be judged with the world, therefore God goes ahead and judges them now. And so he says to Elimelech, Elimelech, go home. No, he gets weak. Elimelech, having food in your belly is nothing if your heart is not right. What if a man gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What have you really gained? Go home. He gets sick. Elimelech, you're not listening to me, he dies. We often can head into sin, you see, and say things are going great in my backslidden condition. The prodigal gets his bag of money and he says, this is great. Nobody around to tell me you're sinning. Nobody around to tell me you're wrong. Nobody around to tell me you shouldn't be doing this. I, I, I just love it. I'm in this foreign country, the prodigal son says, and boy, this has been one fabulous year. Got a new set of friends, and they're not worried about me sinning. I got a new girlfriend. She doesn't care my lifestyle. I don't have old dad bossing me around, that I don't have all those other believing Jews telling me that I'm not kosher. I'm so glad. I'm free. The Bible says there's always a joy for a season in sin. There, there's always some pleasure for a time in sin. But the problem is, is it won't last and the payday is always too hard. When the bill comes, it's too much. The way of the transgressor is hard, it says in Proverbs. 
So Olimelech said, man, this is great. We got the new house. We got the new farm. We got things settled in. We're meeting some new friends. Year one was great. Year two was absolutely fabulous. Year three, Elimelech started to get a little weak, but it's okay because he had two strong sons that could help out. And year four, he really couldn't help out much. He was sick most of the time. Year five, dad died. Pretty sad year. But it didn't matter because Malon and Chilion found a couple of wives and new kids would be on the way, but the Bible says they were there 10 years. Why? To let us know that they didn't have kids. They had plenty of time to have kids and didn't have them. Why? Because God was shutting up their womb as well. God was shutting up the windows of heaven and God was shutting up their womb. God was shutting up any fruitfulness that might have taken place because he's saying, I've got something more important than the outside. It's what's going on the inside and you're not letting me deal with it. Well, it was a sad year, but it didn't matter because kids were bound to be on the way, but Malone got weak. But that's okay. Chilion could do his work too. But then the next year he was sick and most of the women's time were trying to take care of the sick and then Chilon got sick and oh my goodness, things are really going from bad to worse. And on the 10th year after the third son dies, Naomi says, three strikes, I'm out. I'm going home. And in verse 6, she rose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab and she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and giving them bread. She heard about the blessing, but she wasn't experiencing the blessing. Why? She wasn't where she was supposed to be. She wasn't under that spout where the blessings were being poured out. You see, they should have been praying, but instead they were playing. Instead of kneeling, they were fleeing. Instead of agonizing, they were organizing. But somebody was praying. But it wasn't Elimelech or Naomi or her family. But somebody was praying. It says in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, and pray, they'll hear from heaven and I will heal their land. You see, as Elimelech would say, God, heal my land. God would say, let me heal your heart first. God, take this dryness of our land away. God says, I want also to take the dryness of your heart away. Lord, please make our land fruitful. More importantly, I want to make your life fruitful. And as his heart began to get saturated with the water of the Spirit, so the ground would have gotten drenched with the water from heaven. God was trying to wake them up. Somebody was woken up. Somebody began to pray. God healed their land, but not Naomi. But she heard about it. And as all prodigals, they only can stay in the pig pen for so long. And they got to go home. And so here she's heading on back home. And in verse 7, Therefore she went out from the place where she was and her two daughter-in-laws with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah, verse 8. And Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go return each to her mother's house, and the Lord will deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest 
each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they, left, they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters. Listen to this. For it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Notice a few things here. Naomi hears the blessings of the land. Her heart is touched. The Bible says the loving kindness and tender mercies of God lead us to repentance. Naomi now is repentive. She realizes, I've not been in God's will. I haven't said that, but I'm saying it now. I haven't been in God's will. But I need to be. I want to be. That's where I'm heading. Why should you guys keep hanging out with me? I'm cursed. You're going to be cursed. Let me tell you something, folks. God is saying, don't sin. Why? Because God's so holy, he can't look on sinful people? No. Because he hates the hurt that you incur in your sin. He hates to see his kids beaten up and bruised and bloodied and cut and injured. He hates it. And God is angry at sin because of the hurt it brings to you. And all oh, the hurt it does bring. But not just to you, it grieves others. It causes deaths, it causes hardship, it causes failure. And now she's grieved these other two innocent bystanders. These two gals who saw these two good-looking Jewish guys and thought, Wow, I've got a great husband. We'll have kids and have our own farm and uh, this will be wonderful. And it all ended up sour. And Naomi says, this wasn't happy chance. This wasn't just a usual thing. I know why things have gone so bad for me and gone so bad for you. It's because of my sin. And you know what? You don't have to keep experiencing the brunt of it. You can change. Go away from me now. You know, I, I love to hear the Apostle John in the Gospel of John. What a beautiful picture of Jesus he paints. We see this quite submissive God. His mother comes and says, hey, they're out of wine. Get some for him. He goes, hey, it's not my time. Listen to him. He'll do it. And he does. He turns the water into wine. People say, come. He comes. People say, go. He goes. They're hungry. He feeds them. And there we see in John 14, he says, Oh, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions, and if it weren't so, I wouldn't have told you. If I go away, I'll come again. Oh, come on, cheer up, guys. Hey, he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you again. I'm going to bring a comforter to you. He'll be with you, and he'll help you. And Oh, man. I love to hear the words of Jesus as John pens them. But we can't forget that that same apostle John also penned from the mouth of Jesus the book of Revelation. 
And there Jesus is saying stuff like, you make me want to throw up. I am so sick of your ways. Your lack of love, your lack of passion. You better wake up. I'm going to take the candlestick away. You better stop that sinning. I'm going to put a disease of sickness upon you, he says. He says, things better change or I'm going to take your name out of the book of life. Now, we often say, you know, let's stay with the Jesus of the Gospel of John. But Jesus says, that's not what I'm saying right now. I'm telling you that you're naked and wretched and poor, but you're saying you're clothed and see fine and healthy. And I'm telling you, you need to ask of me and I'll give you some ISAV. You're in a bad way. But we often say, no, 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 no. Jesus wouldn't say to me, you make me want to throw up. Jesus would never say anything like that. He did say something like that. It is a part of his personality. It is a part of his characteristic. It is a part of who he is. And here Naomi knows it. She wants to believe. It doesn't really matter if I'm Moab. I know that God said it's a cursed place. I know that God said I'm not supposed to be there. I know God that said there's not going to be blessing there. I know that, but surely God's only saying, let your hearts not be troubled. Elimelech is gone, but don't let your hearts be troubled. That's not what God was saying. God says, behold, I knock at the door. Open the door. Let me come in. Obey. Repent. Get back to where you need to be, to those first works that you had done at the beginning. Chilion, or Malon dies, and, and oh, be comforted. The comforter. No, that's not what God was saying. He's saying, wake up. Repent. Change. I've been telling you to go home, and you're not obeying. Stop your backsliding. There we see that prodigal son lost everything, feeding the pigs. Now, as a Jew, that's not kosher. But not only is he feeding the pigs, he's wanting to bump the pig next to him, saying, move over, let's eat together, friend. He's hungry. He wants to chow down with the pigs. Wow. Would God allow us to sink to such a stupor? Yes. Would God have words of harshness of saying stop doing what you're doing repent get back yes he would and Naomi here realizes it and she says you know what I'm finally gonna obey his voice I know it's God's hands been against me but no longer I'm gonna go back home and do what God is saying to do now notice in verse 14 then they lifted up their voices and wept again. Sin brings so much hardship, so much weeping, so much crying to your mom, to your dad, to your wife, to your husband, to your friends, to your non-Christian friends. Weeping, hardship, grief, sin brings so much. And Ophrah kissed her mother-in-law, but notice Ruth clung to her. And then she said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people, to the other gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Ruth, have some sense in that head of yours and get, out, get away from me. Leave. Now notice what Ruth says. Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. 
For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything but death puts apart you and me. And when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Interesting. Naomi was a successful witness. How could Naomi be a successful witness? Well, the proof's in the pudding. She converted Ruth. Ruth is saying, I want your God to be my God. And she was very deeply, not just emotional, but she saw it was deep down in her will saying, nothing's going to turn me back from following him. Now, this is interesting. Because, you know, we read the books, how to be a successful witnesser, how to be evangelistic, how to be... And, and we paint this picture of saying, basically, you go to the world and you say, look at me, I'm together. Look at me, I'm happy. Look at me, I'm prosperous. Do you know why I'm such a great person? Because God has made me this great person. And that's why you need to make God your God so He can make you this great person too. And the world looks on going, I don't know about this. It sounds like you got a perfect God, but it sounds like He needs perfect people. It sounds like you got a good God, but it sounds like He's looking for good people. And I don't add up. But if you think about Ruth, what did she see? She saw death. She saw hardship. She saw disobedience. She saw a backslidden woman whose God's hand was against her. And she says, I want that God. And I want those kind of people to be my people. What did she see in Naomi? I think she saw a real person who knew the real God. And she wanted that God. I love this picture. Because so often we think that we've got to make a presentation so people will come. No. People come because they want the real God. What did Jesus present himself as? Here's God. He's going to make his presentation on earth. God presents himself on earth. What does he look like? Isaiah 53 says he was ugly. He wasn't good looking in stature. But he had a quality life. A man acquainted with grief and sorrow. Well, he must have had money. Nowhere to lay his head. What was the picture of Jesus? Was it this prosperous, successful, together guy and everybody says, I want to be together like him? No, he was a man who was sort of ugly, poor, a man acquainted with grief and sorrow and difficulty and people would look on and say, I want to follow you. Why? 
the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, this is the treasure we have in these earthen vessels. Now you've got to remember, clay pots at those times were no treasure. You could buy them for less than a penny. And so you say, I've got this clay pot here. What treasure do you have in a clay pot? Nothing. That's the point. What's the treasure we have in these clay pots? That the power is not of us, it's of God. What's inside that clay pot? God. <laughs> God is in you, you see. This is our great hope of glory, that God is in us. But what we often think we have to do is we have to fill in all the cracks. And then we've got to get this incredible paint job on the outside of the earthen vessel. And then we go out and present to the world, we have no cracks, and look at how beautiful we are. And they look on going, man, I've got so many cracks and I'm not half as pretty as you. I don't think I can make it. But that's not the point, you see. God wants us to say and understand it's, it's Him. It's not us. We can go into the world just like Naomi did, cracks and all, water stains and all, and say, this is who I am. And me screws up sometimes. And I disobey and I stumble and I fall and I say and do things I shouldn't say and do. And you know what? I know my God. I've just got to get back into that life of obedience. I need to just get back over to Bethlehem, to that house of bread. I need to get back to that place of praise. And I know that the blessings that are pouring out, God would graciously pour them right out on me. The prodigal son knew that. There's plenty of bread in my father's house, he said. What am I doing here? And he went back home quite confident. The only time we ever have a picture of God striving, the only time we ever, ever have a picture of God running in a hurry, is the picture of the prodigal son when the dad is running to his prodigal son. I love it. You see, people can relate to that. Ruth was like Naomi. And Naomi said, God will receive me. Ruth said, well, then God will receive me. God, if God can help you, Naomi, then God surely can help me. If God can put up with you, God will put up with me. If God can take you, cracks and water stains and all, then God can take me, cracks and water stains and all. I love that God, you see. I love that picture of God. And here we see this beautiful resolve within her that says very clearly, I want your God and I want the kind of people that hang out with your God. I love it. We see the picture during the time of Christ with the Pharisees and how perfect they look. And Jesus said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees. Oh, how could ours be better than the scribes of the Pharisees? We have the picture of the rich young ruler. What? There's still something lacking. And he went away sad. And the apostles said, huh, that guy doesn't make it. What about us? And Jesus said, with man it is impossible. Well, with God, all things are possible. How did Ruth get saved? The way everybody gets saved. 
by grace and mercy. But she knew about it. You see, what we need is real people who have a real relationship with God, who truly, really, really love God, who really love His Word, who really want to worship Him, who really want to live for Him. Not people who can look like it, but people who really are it. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Once I go inside that clay pot, all those cracks become beams of light. <laughs> as I shine forth out of you. All of those water stains doesn't really matter because they're all going to be centered what's happening on the inside of the pot, not what's going on on the outside of the pot. So we stumble and we fall and we get up because God's grace sustains us. His grace that much more abounds. His mercies are new every single morning. And so we keep following after God because we know of His love. And he keeps receiving us back again and again and again. The Christian life is a life that's a series of new beginnings. Getting back up after falling once again and God redeeming our life again and again and again. And Ruth said, I can relate. I understand. You know, when we get to heaven, I think we're going to be so at home. Not because there's not going to be sin there, not because we're going to have a new body, but because God himself is just so down to earth. You know, the Bible says as Christians, we need to be hospitable to one another. We need to have the gift of hospitality. Now, there's some people that have the mind of hospitality is you go and invite somebody over to your house to eat dinner, but you spend three days scrubbing. You scrub the floors, you clean the carpet, you dust, and everything is picture perfect. And you know, you've got the silver all scrubbed up in your china and incense burning and candles flaming. And, and welcome to our home. And the idea is, is this is the way we are. <clears throat> and you walk in going, oh, I should have worn my tux. And... It's sort of a stiff time because you're in a formal filling situation. But I love those people that says, come on over. And they do a couple touch-up things like throw the stuff off the couch into the floor so you can sit down. <laughs> but you show up and there it is, the way you live. Just regular and you show up and they say, I didn't have a chance to set the table, the fork's over in that drawer, why don't you help me? <laughs> it's like, hey, I like this, you know. I, I can be comfortable here. You see, the gift of hospitality isn't having this perfect scenario. The gift of hospitality is saying, I am who I am, I'm not afraid to let you know who I am. And this is the way we live. This is who we are. And I say... That makes me comfortable. That makes me want to sit down and let you know who I am. And see, when we see God in heaven, we're not going to know it's Him because lightning bolts are flashing out of His head and away from the throne. He's just, we're going to greet Him, we're going to be with Him, and He's just going to be a regular Joe stuff. A regular old friend. We're going to be comfortable with in His presence. 
we're going to be at home, at rest. And Ruth was at home with Naomi. She was at rest in her presence. And Naomi was at rest in God's presence, even though she was backslidden. She knew where home was, and she knew who her father was. And Ruth, Ruth said, that's home for me too, and that's my father too. She understood God. She understood grace. She understood mercy. Not from a successful, perfect person that was pleasant, but from a regular old person like you and me. You see, we get saved. Have you noticed this? We get saved and we don't get a lot, lot better. We get saved and we have God to help us, even though we don't get a lot, lot better. And His mercy and His love and His grace is always there for us. Well, we read on in verse 19. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem, and it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the cities was excited because of them. I love that picture in the Gospels. It says where all of heaven rejoices when the prodigal comes home. All the angels in heaven have a party. And here we sort of see it here. You know, everybody rejoicing when they see the prodigals come home. I love it. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? And she said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, bitterness. Don't call me pleasantness. Call me bitterness. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Now, she's not complaining. She's not saying, Man, God really did me in. That's not what she's saying. She's saying to these guys, Remember when things were hard for you and you were in the famine and you said we got to stay in God's place even though it may be hard to be in God's place? And the problem isn't the dryness of the ground. The problem is the dryness of our hearts. You guys were right. I was wrong. I said prag pragmatism is the answer. We need to feed our family. We've got to take care of things. We need to, you know, go down and get food. That's what's important. And, you know, you guys can spiritualize it if you want, but I've got to go down and get some food. And then she's coming back saying, you guys were right. I was pragmatic. I didn't look at things spiritually. Had I looked at things spiritually, I would have seen Bethlehem as a house of bread, even though it was a dried up place because of the famine. I would have saw Judah as a place of praise even though it was a place of hunger. And I wouldn't have saw the green grass of Moab as a pleasant place had I saw it spiritually as I should have. I would have saw it as God sees it as a wash pot. We've blown it. We went down to a land that God told us not to go to. We intermarried with people that God told us not to intermarry with. Sin doesn't pay, gals. That's what she's saying to her friends. You were right. Sin doesn't pay. And she says in verse 21, I went out full and the Lord has brought me home empty. There's a price to be paid with sin. And that's why I, I say to you, okay, we all stumble and fall, but get immediately back up. Don't let sin go on. If you sin for a minute, don't let it go on for an hour. If you've sinned for an hour, definitely don't let it go on for a day or a week or a month. You can plant a whole field in a day. You can plant 40 acres in a week. In a month, you can plant hundreds of acres. And what you reap is what you're going to sow. And if you've sowed to the flesh that week last year, you've sowed to the wind, you're going to reap the whirlwind for a week this year. 
And that's why I say, catch your losses. You see, well, I backslidden and I got this non-Christian girlfriend, but we're so close over these last eight months. The Bible says don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers, but I love her. Cut the losses now. Break up. Get away from that. Be separate, says the Lord, and I will be your God and you will be my people. Well, I've gotten this business arrangement and I found out that this guy is quite shady. But I sunk $50,000 in. Get out. Cut your losses. It's better than going to prison. Get away from it now. Don't lose your good name. But I'm going to lose so much. Cut it now. Don't wait till you're completely empty. Don't wait. Say, well, I've already done it a day. I might as well do it a week. I've done it a week. I might as well do it a month. If I've done it a month, I might as well do it another year. Well, I've already been dating eight months. We might as well get married. Stop now. You've got to realize that you can reap the consequences of sin, not for a month, but you can reap the consequences of sin your entire life until the day you die. Hard can get harder, folks. Difficult can get more difficult. You think, surely it can't get worse than this. It can. I guarantee you, it can get worse. I don't care how bad it is. It can get worse. And here Naomi says, man, I left out full. We were rich. We were, had plenty. Things were great. I had two sons and a husband. And things. Were, I come back, I have nothing. No money. No cattle. No husband. No kids. Nothing. And then she says, why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me, the Almighty has afflicted me. Well, rejoicingly, the rest of the book of Ruth is Ruth getting, or is Naomi getting filled up. Naomi's going to get filled back up. And so Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabites, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest, a new beginning, a new time of harvest. You see, if you reason together with the Lord today, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your skin, sins be as scarlet, I'll wash them as white as snow. But today is the day of salvation. Don't harden your heart. Don't say tomorrow. Don't say one more day. Today. Get things right. Well, Brian, I'm not backslidden, just one area of my life. Then quit backsliding in that one area of your life. You have a famine there in that area of your life too, don't you? Well, I'm not respecting my husband. I'm not loving my wife as Christ loves the church. So your marriage is a famine. Well, I need a new spouse. I need to go down to Moab and get a new spouse. No, you don't need to go get a new spouse. You're right where you need to be. It's you need to cry out to God to heal that land, you see. Maybe today at work, things are a real famine there. Real dry, real hard. Are you working as unto the Lord there? Well, I tried it for a week. It didn't work. Hey, you reap, you sow to the flesh for a year. It's not going to be turned around in a week. Don't weary in well-doing. Get back there. Work is unto the Lord. It may take a year or two or three before you see the barley harvest come in. But don't weary in well-doing. You know what the Word of God says. Bethlehem, be there. 
Now do all things without murmuring and complaining. Rejoice in the Lord always. In everything, give thanks. Go back to that work. Work is unto the Lord. Stay there rejoicing. Work hard. Obey the Lord. It will become a place that will grow and wonderful harvest will come in eventually. Does it mean a week? Does it mean a month? Does it mean a year? I don't know how long it will take. But your soul, you see, will immediately be producing fruit. Maybe not on the outside in work, but your soul will be. God turns the waters on in your soul immediately when you turn your heart back. You see, when the prodigal son came home, dad didn't say, well, I'll start you on allowance again. He said, here's the ring, here's the coat, here's the shoes, go kill the fatted calf, let's have a feast. In the same way, immediately your soul will be satisfied with him, you see. But I'm in real lack, I'm in real want, then it's because God is not in that area of your life. Because David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, I shall not lack. Well, I'm sure lacking financially right now. Well, I go back. Go to the scriptures. You're backsliding in that area. Go back to the scriptures. Do what it says. Well, there's a real lack right now in my health. Well, is it the drinking? Is it the drugs? Is it the overeating? Has God been speaking to you concerning your lifestyle? But yet, you're still just busy about trying to make your plans to get down to Moab? Back up. What's God speaking to you, you see? What's the word of God say? Come back to Bethlehem, that house of bread. Get back into the word. Start meditating on it day and night. So many Christians, I don't think I've ever experienced that, where they have a year or two or three back to back, where they've been in the word every single day and night meditating on it. They've never had that life of rejoicing and praise and not murmuring and complaining, but just in everything giving thanks and everything worshiping the Lord. Folks, it's a great place to live in Bethlehem of Judah. Go back there. If you've never been there, start living there. It's unbelievable. God has truly given us an abundant life. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Is there some death and decay going on? Is there some famines hitting some areas of your life? God is speaking to you about that area of your life. It's not another loan. It's not another credit card. It's not a new wife. It's not a new job. It's not a new house. It's not a new car. It's not, it's you. It's God trying to get a, your attention on that area in your heart. Will you listen to him today? Can you hear it? Can you hear him say, seek my face? Let your soul now say, oh Lord, your face will I seek. Do you hear him saying, come away, my love, come away, my fair one? Then say, yes, I'm going to go into his banqueting table for his banner over me is love. But let us awake from our slumber. Let us hear the knocking at the door. Let him come into that area in your life. For some of you today, it may be to come into your life for the first time. Ask him to come in today, to be the Lord of your life. Let's bow and pray. Lord, we thank you for this day that you've given us. Lord, and so often we...
think we've got to be this great witness when in reality you just said, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. We think it so often we've got to make a presentation when you're just telling us to be ourself but let ourself truly be in intimate relationship with you. Oh Lord, we want to see your face. We want to hold your face in our hands and just look at you like a little child to look into the eyes of his daddy. Oh Lord, we just want to sit right next to you. And as the Bible is open, as a dad or a mom would read to their little child, so you would read to us the scriptures and speak to us and teach us of your ways. Lord, we want to come back to that place of Bethlehem. Lord, we know there's so many things to murmur and complain about, but our hope is in heaven. It doesn't matter if a flood or an earthquake comes because all our treasures are already stored up where earthquakes and floods can't take them away. Rust and moths can't destroy them. Thieves can't steal them. Lord, let our whole life be in heaven with you. Our whole heart be set upon you. For us to live is Christ. Let our reward be you and to be awakened in your likeness someday. Our whole hope is on seeing your face and being just like you on that day. Lord, help us if we've come short of anything else. If we have hope in this life and something, to get married, to have a better job, to have a bigger house, to have more of this or more of that, Lord, please put our mind upon the things above where you are seated at the right hand of God and not on the things of this earth. Set us free today. Set your people free today to quit looking over at Moab and just to stay put in Bethlehem of Judea. Lord, we come to you today. Hear us and help us. Right now, just whatever the heart's cry is, just cry that out to the Lord, you Christians who have some famines in your life. Just confess it to God as Naomi did. So confess it before the Lord. And I encourage you today to go confess it to your husband, your wife, your friend, to your brother or sister in the Lord. Confess that to them. If you're here today and you need to receive Christ into your life right now, just say, Dear Jesus, I ask that you would come into my life right now. My Father in heaven, thank you for the gift of your Son, for dying for me on the cross, from raising again. Come into my life. Be the Lord of me completely. Help me to learn your word and to follow you with my whole heart. And I thank you, Lord. Thank you for coming into my life. And help me now to follow you completely in Jesus' name. Bless all those who have heard your word today. Amen.